Good morning. Um, today's scripture reading is from Mark 14, 53 through 72. I'll give you a minute to get on your devices and or in your, in your Bibles to look that up. Again, it's Mark 14, 53 through 72. And just to note, um, we do have a box of, of Bibles at the back of the church um, as you come in the door. If you ever uh, leave home without yours or you just want to grab one from there, you're welcome to them. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none, for many bore false witness against him. But their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And sometime, and some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus, but he denied it, saying, I neither knew, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of him. But again he denied it. And after a little while the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. This is God's word. Throughout the month of March, we're going to be coming closer and closer to the end of Mark's gospel. You've heard me say before that it is very likely that Mark's gospel is really Peter's story. Uh, both Peter and Mark were living in Rome, the New Testament tells us, near the very end of Peter's life. And they were very close. So you see that this passage reveals that Peter, later in his life, was very transparent and honest about his own lies. 
To embrace Christianity, you have to admit that you're a liar. To embrace Christianity, you have to admit that you are, in some degree, an evader of the truth. And this is not just a word uh, for those of you who are thinking about becoming a Christian. This is a word for us Christians also. To embrace the truth, you have to admit your lies. To embrace the truth, you have to admit to the lies that you tell and to the truths that you deny. And to continue in the truth, you must continue to reject those lies. Actually, if you can see yourself in Peter, if you look at Peter and you can see yourself and what he says and what he does, you can actually see a savior in Jesus Christ. So I want to talk to you about the lies that we tell. And I want to talk to you about the truths that we deny. The lies we tell and the truths we deny. The lies that we tell are like a home alarm system. The lies that you tell are like a personal home defense system. When, when the truth threatens to find an opening, a door, or a window... When the truth threatens to expose you, the system goes off and you defend yourself with lies. We lie to people from early childhood. One of the earliest memories I have of lying, and I'm sure I lied tons of times before this, but this is the f one of the first lying memories I have. I was probably five or six years old. I was playing with my cousin in his house. We were playing Star Wars. And we were chasing each other around the house. He had... He had that little orange spaceship that Lando Calrissian would fly around in, you know, the double cockpit spaceship. And I had the awesome Millennium Falcon, which for a six-year-old was a huge toy. It was like the toy of toys. And we were flying around the house and chasing each other, play, you know, playing Star Wars. And he lived in a duplex. On the other side of the duplex was his grandmother's house, my great aunt. And, and we, we chased each other into my aunt's house. And he, his toy was so small that you couldn't even see it. Mine was this enormous, it was like a garbage pail uh, lid. It was huge. And I come flying into my aunt's house with the Millennium Falcon. And she took one look at it and she goes, no, get out of my house with those toys. And, and immediately, without batting an eye, I said, oh, I, I, I didn't want to play with it here. I just wanted to show it to you. And she goes, oh, very nice. Now, please go. And we left. And, and as a six-year-old, even then, I was, I was surprised at how quickly I lied. You know, without even thinking, a, a convincing, adamant, consistent lie came right of my, out of my mouth. And even as a kid, I was like, whoa. I was surprised at what I was capable of. And then you get older and, and you begin to lie to yourself. When I was 12 years old, I was... Uh, I was, I was I had a weight problem. I was gaining weight, and I was really self-conscious about my weight. I had, a, I, had a, I had a larger waist size at the age of 12 than I do now. And that's not a big deal, but it, it bothered me in junior high. And, but I started lying to myself that I, that I wasn't growing. And so when my mom would bring, bring me to the mall to buy school clothes... I would convince myself that I was the same waist size. And so I'd go into the dressing room and look in the mirror and go, and just kind of put the same size waist pants on. And 
and say, okay, they fit. Yeah, ma, these are good. These are good. I'm the same waist size. And then I'd go to public school, junior high, and I'd walk around the halls with pants that were too small for me, and the buttons would pop. And I'd walk around school with pants that the buttons were pop. Can you imagine walking around public school at the age of 12 and your pants were popping because they were too small on you? So, but I was lying to myself that I didn't need larger clothes. Okay, and now you get older, and now your lies as an adult become a bit more serious. And as we lie to one another as adults, we begin to break our ability to trust one another, don't we? And our lies as adults begin to really damage our relationships. This this self-defense system becomes so good and so effective in us that uh, we end up isolating ourselves and pushing people away, not only from what we're afraid they will know, but in effect, pushing them away from us so that every lie we tell or every half-truth or untruth or, or um, omission of the truth that, that we portray, right? every truth that we deny um, is like uh, another brick in the wall, like Pink Floyd once said, just building up that wall um, all around ourselves. So now, Peter, in this account that Michelle just read, when threatened by the truth, hearing three times those words from bystanders, from bystanders, certainly you're one of them. You're one of his disciples. You're a Galilean. You look and talk like a Galilean. We've seen you with that man, Jesus. Peter speaks for all of humanity when he says those words. I do not know him. Peter had promised to defend Jesus to the death, hadn't he? And now here, when Jesus is facing the death sentence, Peter defends himself. Even though his identity is obvious to everyone around him, he obstinately, almost irrationally, denies it and lies. Can I ask you a question? Why why do we lie? What do you think? Did I hear the word fear? Afraid of what? What are we afraid of? Afraid of what people think of you? Afraid of the consequences of the truth. There was a hand over here too. We lie to make ourselves look better. Other thoughts? Why do people lie? For gain. People lie for gain. People lie to get ahead. Okay. Any other thoughts? Yeah. To protect ourselves from shame. Okay, so we will lie to others um, about what is plain to us, uh, basically to keep the peace, to, uh, to, uh, to not provoke an argument or, or, or a conflict. We'll, we'll lie to them. 
Yeah. To try and preserve a relationship, we will lie. Right. Okay. We're all, we're all born with the ability to lie. Okay. Sometimes it's fun to lie. Yeah. Sometimes it serves a better good to lie. If, if, if the end is good, then maybe the means of lying is justified. One more, th- well, yeah, another comment. I feel like it's along the same lines, but it's easier sometimes. The truth is more complicated, takes longer. I don't know. Mm. There are people that, you know, like, tell them I'm not here, you know. I yeah. Mean, it's easier. Yeah. Sometime, sometimes evading the truth or, or telling a lie is easier. These are all really good thoughts. There's, there's a common theme in almost everything that, was, that you just said, and it's self-defense. We often lie to defend ourselves or to justify ourselves or to prove ourselves. And there's really two dynamics in this account that we read about. There's like two sides to this coin. There's, there's not only promoting lies, but there's also denying what is true. You can look at it both ways. The truth that we deny would actually free us if we embraced it. Not saying uh, to embrace and agree with and condone a bad thing. But there's something good. There's something liberating about confronting and owning up to and embracing and comprehending the truth. Jesus and Peter have completely Opposite responses to this whole situation, don't they? Peter, when questioned, defends himself and lies about his identity. Jesus, when questioned, refuses to defend himself and tells the truth about his identity. The Sanhedrin, this literally the council, uh, is the interpretation of the Sanhedrin. The, the high priest, the chief priests the scribes, and um, good grief, the elders. Okay, The elders, the, the chief priests, and the scribes made up the Sanhedrin. Uh, they were the, the authority in Jerusalem, the, the Jewish religious authorities in Jerusalem. They had religious authority in Jerusalem. They did not have civil authority. Um, they, could not, they could not pronounce a death sentence and execute it. They would have to, they had to save that for the Romans. But the Sanhedrin is trying to get Jesus to say something that would warrant a death sentence according to Old Testament law. They're trying to get Jesus to say something that was condemnable by death according to the Torah. But they're getting frustrated because um, the false accounts and accusations aren't matching up. They, they can't get Jesus to speak. And because, and t- you know, if you get a person talking, you, you, can, you can unwind them, right? They can't get Jesus to reply to these false accusations. They're getting frustrated, finally exasperated. In verse 61, the high priest, and his name was Caiaphas, the high priest says, he demands of Jesus, are you the Christ? The son of the blessed. Are you, the, translation of that would be, are you the Messiah? Are you the son of God? And now Jesus finally 
discloses the truth about his true identity to his enemies. And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. That statement was like an earthquake for them to hear. Jesus is saying two things. He's saying, yes, I am the Christ. Yes, I am the Messiah. But he's saying far more than that. He's basically saying that he's God. He takes, he takes two Old Testament ideas and he puts them together here. David, uh, Jesus' ancestor, the first Messiah, would say in Psalm 110, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David said that a Messiah would one day come who would have God's power, would have God's authority. There's another theme, though, that Jesus is pulling in here. The prophet Daniel, also many centuries before Jesus came along, Daniel um, had a vision and he recorded his visions. And Daniel said, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And Daniel also said of this son of man, to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. The son of man was an obscure figure in the Old Testament. Uh, the Jews didn't know much about this figure. But the son of man, whoever he was, would be worshipped like God, Daniel said. You see, the Bible doesn't allow you to ignore what Jesus thought of himself. The Bible doesn't allow you to get around the issue of who Jesus actually believed he was. Now, if Jesus was, and this is a common thought, Jesus was a, was a prophet. He was a great prophet. Some religions believe that. Jesus was a miracle worker. He was a healer. Jesus was a wise, a wise sage. Right? But if Jesus was just these things or any one of these things, do you realize he's lying here? Do you see that? We have to, we have to face that. Uh, C.S. Lewis years ago said, Jesus doesn't give you many options. He doesn't let you get away with saying that he's just a good guy. He's just a good guy that did some good things and said some good things like many other prophets and sages in the past, but that's as far as it goes. C.S. Lewis said, you don't have that option. Jesus only gives you three options. Either Jesus was a wicked liar uh, or Jesus was just a pathetic, crazy person. He was a sad lunatic who didn't know what he was talking about, or he was who he said he was. If he was a lunatic, or if he was a wicked liar, then Jesus is committing blasphemy right here. He's, he's speaking against the name of the Almighty God, which in the Old Testament was punishable by death. And so finally, when he says this, the Sanhedrin doesn't believe him, and they say, now we've got him. Now we've got him to say something that's condemnable to death. And so they judged that he should be executed. But C.S. Lewis says, look, if he's telling the truth, then you have to accept 
that he's Lord, that he is who he said he was. Now, if you must deny Jesus' claims about himself, if you're still thinking about Christianity, you're wondering who Jesus is, if you must deny what he said about himself, then, then friend, you must respond to him like Caiaphas the high priest did. That's your only option. You have to be utterly, utterly repulsed by Jesus. And you have to demand justice from his lies. From leading all those people astray. From leading millions of people across thousands of years astray. If he was just a prophet or just a teacher. You know, Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, all his friends there surrounding Jesus. uh, Before you agree with them, I want you to consider something. Uh, They hated Jesus from the very beginning. Despite his teachings and despite his miracles and despite the huge following that he had from all types of people in society, even the outcasts, even the, the, the subdominant culture in his society, despite all of that, they hated him. It's because his teachings and his miracles and his following threatened who they were, threatened their position in society, threatened their place. So what's going on here is not an exercise of well-executed justice. What's going on in here is an injustice. What's going on in this trial is an act of self-defense on the part of Caiaphas and on a part of all the Jewish leadership. So both Peter and the Sanhedrin deny what was so obvious to many people. But the truth that they thought threatened them, it would have saved them. It would have freed them. Jesus earlier in his ministry while he was teaching said this. It's recorded in John chapter 8. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Do you know the truth of Jesus actually liberates you from your slavish compulsion to always defend yourself? It's the truth that will liberate you from your desire to prove yourself, whether it's by a lie or by not telling the truth or by avoiding a difficult issue in a relationship. Your concern will crumble if the truth comes out. It's the truth of Jesus that liberates us from from our our inborn, our born tendency and compulsion to cover up and deny the truth. The reason, you want to know the reason I think we tell lies is because we believe them. The Bible says we tell lies because we believe lies. A lot of human endeavors are basically attempts to exist and to improve ourselves without God. As you know, that ancient Western philosophy began as as a quest to understand who we are. With the assumption that there is no creator, that there isn't a God, and that there, if there is a God, he's completely far away and he's completely unknowable. Modern psychology was founded on the same premise. If or since there is no God, how can we, how can we stay sane and help each other 
in a very difficult world, in a very difficult life, some scientific inquiry begins with the assumption that there is no God. And humanity can, on its own, discover truth and figure out how the universe works and how to conform the universe to our will. Now, look, I'm not saying you shouldn't be involved in any of those endeavors. Uh, The world needs good people in science and psychology um, and in philosophy. We need you in those disciplines, okay? But it's important to consider how the world operates and where certain institutions come from, okay? It's built on a presupposition that, well, there is no God, so how can we survive without him? The Bible says this, this way of thinking that there is no God, and if there is a God, we can't trust him, and we can't possibly know him. That way of thinking is what the Bible says got humanity into trouble in the first place. You can read all about it in the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, about Adam and Eve and what happened between them and God. But the Apostle Paul, in his letter to Roman Christians, summed up what happened in the very beginning of human history. Paul said that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against ungodlessness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Paul went on to say that the reason we have the problem we have is because we exchanged the truth about God for a lie. You know, to keep a lie going, what do you have to do? You have to defend yourself and defend yourself and defend yourself. You have to justify your position, right? Like a crafty politician would. You just have to stick with your story. And as people discover one inconsistency, well, you've, you've got to beef up your story. You've, you've got to justify your position. You've got to defend your words. You've got to defend your actions. You even have to justify your reasons for what you said. And your motives for what you've said, what you've done. You've got to keep it up. And doesn't this become exhausting? The Bible says it's more than exhausting. It's actually damning. You know, our souls bear God's creative mark. Our souls bear the image of God who created us. That's, that's what Paul was saying, that that. that We suppress the truth. And what we're saying is, what Paul was saying is, deep down, way deep down inside of you, you know that there is a God, that he exists, and that he has created you, and that you owe him your life, and you owe him your gratitude, and you owe him your honor. You owe him the the most precious place in your heart where you keep the things that you love and cherish the most. You know deep down that that place in your life and that place in your heart belongs to a creator who exists. But the Bible tells us we suppress that truth of God in us. So sin is, the Bible talks about sin. Sin is really, in this context, right, thinking about Peter, thinking about the high priest, sin is a condition in which we suppress the reality of God. Sin is a condition in which we suppress God's goodness. We don't trust in it. We don't believe in it. 
And the Bible says it's a condition that's actually literally killing us. But here, but let me encourage you. If you can, this may sound ironic to you, but if you can see yourself in Peter, if you can say, like Peter, you've promoted lies in your life and in your relationship. You've told lies to yourself. Or if you can, if you can admit and see yourself in Caiaphas, in the high priest and the Sanhedrin, if you can admit that you have suppressed truth, about your creator. You have suppressed the truth about yourself. To yourself. You have suppressed the truth to other people. If you can see yourself. In these, in these people in today's account. Well friend. You are one step closer. To being able to see. That Jesus is a savior. Who can rescue you. From lies. And untruth. You're closer. So let the man of truth. Liberate you. From your lies, the lies that you tell and the truths that you deny. Jesus also said at one time, for this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. The one who is truth. Received the death sentence for liars. So the Christian, because of Jesus's act of self-sacrifice that purified you from your lies, the Christian has been forgiven of her lies. The Christian has been forgiven of his continual process of denying what is true. And if that's true, you don't have to lie anymore. If Jesus is who he said he was, you don't have to lie anymore. The Apostle Paul said to the church in Colossae, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. See, when the image of God in you, when God's creative stamp upon your life that's been hidden for so long and suppressed for so long, when that comes out by the grace and the love and the gentleness of Jesus, who refused to defend himself but gave himself up when the truth pronounced his death sentence, when this starts to come out, you no longer feel the need to suppress the truth. You no longer feel the need to promote lies. And that's amazing because it also means you don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to keep trying to convince yourself that you can make things work on your own. You don't have to keep convincing other people that you're a better person than they think you are. You don't have to keep ignoring the fact that maybe you're not as trustworthy as you'd like to think you are. You're not as talented. You're not as smart. You're not as well behaved as you'd like to think you are. And you're not afraid of what people are going to think anymore. You don't have to defend yourself. Why? Well, look, if God knows the truth about you, and he does, if God knows the truth about you, and yet Jesus, his son, came 
to take your, your death sentence, to, 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 to absorb all of your lies, to overlook the fact that you have denied him again and again and again, to receive your death sentence himself. If God loves you that much, who cares what people think of you? Who cares if God loves you that much? Let the blood of Jesus Christ defend you. Stop trying to defend yourself. When you see yourself in Peter, you can actually see a Savior in Jesus. Let's let, as a community and as individuals, let's let the truth of Jesus liberate us from our compulsion to defend ourselves in our relationship with our creator and in our relationships with each other and in our relationships with a world that may become increasingly hostile to you. Let the truth of Jesus free you from your desire to defend yourself and come out of the lies Come out of the lies and embrace what is true. And remember what the Bible says. Truth is not just an idea. It's not just a concept. Truth is a person. And that person gave himself up to cleanse me of my lying acts. And to cleanse you of your untruths. Let's rest in that and take encouragement from that. Let's pray. Our God, as we remember the words of Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. Help us to draw closer with confidence to the Lord Jesus. Who would not defend himself, but freely admitted the very truth that he knew would get him killed. Thank you that he refused to defend himself. I can only imagine, Father, we would be in our sins today, guilty and waiting for your wrath upon us if Jesus had defended himself, if Jesus had refused to speak the truth about his identity. Oh, Lord, help us to believe the truth about his identity. In his name, amen.